vaccines, that's one thing, but also biosecurity and, and uh, you know, uh, cleaning and disinfection, that's something else. I think we, we really have to drop down the, the, the huge n number of infections that are on top on the pigs at this moment. But this has not, not that much to do with the power of virus story that we were talking about. Hello, welcome to this edition of Meet the Expert, a new series of podcasts on swine disease management in practice presented by Beringer Ingelheim. My name is Peter Best. This particular podcast, we're talking about parvovirus and reproductive failure in swine. And to help us, we have two experts in the field, a, a prominent veterinary virologist from Europe, Dr. Hans Neuink, who is head of virology in the Faculty of Veterinary Medicine at the University of Ghent in Belgium, and, and also Dr. Paul Henning Radkin from Denmark, who is with Beringer Ingelheim Nordic. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you for joining us today. May I start with you, Dr. Radkin? Parvovirus in pigs, this is an old, old story, surely. What more does a field veterinarian need to know about parvo? If you ask me just a few years ago, uh, I would have said exactly the same. What do you need to know? Uh, or do we need to know more? Because uh, it's a disease we have completely under control, and uh, we have vac had vaccines for 40 years, so we know exactly how to do this. It's a, it's a no-brainer. But uh, recently, and, and recent in the parvo world, is not recent like in the influenza or PERS. Recent is uh, maybe within the last uh, 10 years, we realized that actually parvovirus is also evolving. And we see new varieties of parvovirus. And for that, we also might need another way to control it. So is this a European-wide experience of an increase in parvo, or do we think this is a global phenomenon? I would assume this is a global phenomenon. It's, uh, there's, a, there's a few papers only indicating that, and there's also uh, some publicating, publications indicating that uh, the immunity uh, against some of the new evolving strains are not as good as they were uh, in the older days. So... It's not just a European thing, but there's not a lot of publications on that. I see. Dr. Nowing, you're the research scientist. I mean, I suggested Pavo's an old story, but are there more things from your point of view that need to be investigated then? Are mm. things changing? So I can tell you that I'm also an old virologist, so that, that, uh, that fits. Um, the virus, uh, the powerful virus is indeed, a, that's an old story, the virus itself. Um, and there have been, uh, that was one of the success stories of the, the vaccines in the past. When you use a vaccine, the virus is totally under control, uh, will not cause uh, a lot of problems in sows. So uh, even when the people were sending some material to, my, to the lab for, for diagnosis, I was always asking, you know, did you vaccinate? And if they vaccinated, you could even scratch the, the let's say, the, the diagnosis of Parvo. Uh, up till now, uh, uh, because I'm a scientist, I'm doing a lot of research, uh, mainly on uh, viruses where I can get some money from. Uh, but parvovirus, for instance, is not uh, a virus that is on my list of doing research on. So let's say there is not a lot of knowledge. I'm talking for my, my environment, uh, and then that's, that's Belgium. 
I don't have a lot of feeling, uh, let's say, with changes of the parvovirus and also with lack of, of uh, uh, let's say, a failure of vaccination. If that would occur, of course, we would see a lot of uh, uh, things going on in the field. That does not mean that there is nothing going on. And if there are, you know, some indications and some, uh, and I'm a third line uh, service lab. So if there are things happening in the field, I will be the first to examine it. So, um, for instance, I can give you even a, uh, a fact that recently we got uh, last week mummies in the lab that I was thinking of maybe this could be parvo. We're, we're examining it. So if parvo could come out of that, and that's from a, a well-vaccinated farm, you can be sure that I will go into that, try to isolate the virus and to do some uh, work on that. But up till now, there was not a kind of, a, um, let's say, a, a lot of activity in my brains to do some research on, on the parvovirus. May I pick up, you talked about mummified piglets. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's step back. Parvovirus, how does it cause reproductive failure? What are its distinct signs if we're looking at differential diagnosis? Yes. So w- what we know for sure is that this virus, just like uh, PCV2, is uh, you know replicating mainly in lymphoblasts in uh, lymphoid tissues, uh, but that's o- almost the only thing that we know at this moment. This goes back from a very long time ago from uh, Bob Mangling, uh, who did a lot of uh, work on that. Uh, but recently, not a lot of people are going further in research on the interaction of the virus with the the, the host cell. So, uh, for instance, if if there are uh, indications that there is a new strain. Uh, the first thing that we have to do is to have look, for instance, to the replication, the interaction of the, the virus, the parvovirus, with the lymphoblasts. And uh, for instance, in our lab, just to give you as an example, we, we, we were studying last year's uh, the interaction of uh, circovirus with lymphoblasts. And there is a huge difference in between the strains. So we, we see that there is a, a better growth of the, the circovirus in lymphoblasts when you see some more recent strains compared to the older ones. And they're more, I call it more fit. Uh, towards uh, the lymphoblasts and maybe and that would be a nice thing to examine um, that is if you would uh, take old parvovirus and new ones and just uh, you know you take lymphoblasts which is very easy to make and then we have a look to the uh, to the interaction this could already be a kind of a brilliant uh, piece of of science to see uh, if they are replicating better they of course have more power and it all ends up uh, with one thing that is there you should have a, a, a huge pharemia if you have a huge varemia, you have a, a, a more chance to, you know, go to the fetuses and cause damage. So I'm, I'm really, uh, and it's a pity, of course, there's no money for, for this research, but I'm really interested if there are some new strains coming up just to have a look to their interaction with their, their real target being the, the lymphoblast. So that, that would be a very nice thing to, to study because it's well related with the power they have to go to the fetus. So that would be a, a piece of research to uh, have better insights. Now, it's a so-called smeddy virus, which yes. we still mm-hmm. use that term because stillborn and mummified piglets are, are, are part of that story. Mm-hmm. Not abortions in, nope. in parvo case, nope. is it? No. Nope. That's distinctive with some other reproductive failure causes. Yes, yes this, this, this virus is really a smeddy virus. Um, it's not really... What you need for abortion, that is that you, you kill all the, the fetuses in a very short time and then you get abortion just like Ojeski disease virus is doing. So uh, if you just uh, start with one or a few piglets, then you will not have, have it. However, uh, it's well known also if you have a huge, uh, you know, uh, um, a strong 
if you would have a strong virus and you kill all those fetuses, it could maybe end up uh, sooner or later. We don't have the feeling at this moment, but that, that, that one could also cause some abortion in the future. But at this moment, there are no indications that, uh, you know, that still up till now a kind of a, a smeddy type of virus at this uh, moment. With pigs being affected typically, if there is such a thing, it's typically rather late in the... So it's, it's what you have is you, you have a normal gestation and at the end at the parturition yes. all the rubbish is coming out with with the mummy still born and some weak born piglets. So that's still the, the case at this moment, even with with some uh, you know uh, strains that are different from the the old strains. So we still have the yes. the smeddy picture in in the field. Do we do we have a clear picture as a scientist how the virus moves from sow to to fetus? So I would I would say for this specific one I would say no. Uh, we have it for PERS, also for uh, uh, um, for PERS, for Ujeski disease virus. We have a very clear look on what's happening at that level of the placenta. For Parvo, that's a kind of a, a, a big black, black box. And I think that would be very interesting to also there to have some more insights. Hmm. Uh, also there, I think it's it's important to get some uh, you know funding money to have a better analysis on what's going on there. Sure. Yeah. Now, Dr. Ratkin, you said, you know, in the last, let's say, 10 years there have been these changes. Do you think these have been associated with any change in virulence? There's some indications that there's a change in uh, virulence. And I know that uh, the researcher from uh, the Danish National Lab, Lars Erik Larsen and Lars, uh, Lisa Kvisgaard, they start to look into to this uh, because they had more cases submitted and they detected more power virus, and they started because they all of a sudden there was kind of a jump uh, in reproductive cases, and they had uh, increased number of confirmed uh, power cases. They started to do sequencing of those viruses they found in these cases, and it turned out to be uh, more recent strains. Some of them uh, similar to to what you have found in in Germany. So they're not looking into the, the, the kind of research that, that Hansen is mentioning. It's more using the sequencing technique. Uh, that's Lisa Kvisgaard. She's uh, very well known for, for her ability to, see, to sequence uh, different viruses. And then I know there's been some research on the development uh, of neutralizing antibodies. But the actual pathogenesis of, of the parvo infection, I don't know if that's studied. So... There's probably there has to be a, a huge problem or a really increased problem before there's research money going into that. That would be my mm. assumption. But if there was an increase in virulence, how would we see that? Would it be more mummified piglets per litter or more sows affected or a greater transmission? Or what would you speculate? I would expect more mummified piglets per litter. That's normally how we detect uh, or get the impression that we have a power virus infection. As, as Hans was mentioning, we see this uh, different sizes of uh, mummies uh, and more mummies. Then, then you should have a, a hint at least that you should look into parvo. And if this is... Uh proved to be a more virulent or some more virulent types, uh, then it becomes a question, how quickly could these move from country to country and into herds? Parvo has, uh, as far as I remember, quite a, a capacity to move around on just about anything that moves. Is that true? Is, is it a, an agent that moves quite easily on fomites? Actually, I, I don't really know. I think maybe Hans was, will be able to answer that question better than me. 
So power virus is one of the most resistant viruses in the world. So it's really extremely resistant. And that's also its power to stay in a, in a, in a population of pigs. Even when you vaccinate, the, 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 not in on the farm level, but in a huge population level, the virus can stay there. So, um, so it can spread easily. Um, mechanically from one, uh, you know, by lorries or trucks or, you know, it, it, I think it's on boots. I think that's easily done also on the surface of pigs. Uh, so it, it, it can move. I think the most important thing for, let's say, the, the if you talk about evolution of viruses and uh, changes of, of genotypes, because this is what is happening now with, with the parvo, I think important to know is that one type should take over from the other one. And that's normally uh, not a very easy job. Because if you have a, a change of a virus, then that virus should drill its way through the population immunity, which is normally not, not very easy to do. So uh, I think what you need is, is at a certain moment when you have a virus that is getting away from some immune responses, then I think you can make a job as a, as a virus. Uh, and maybe this could happen when uh, in, in Denmark they see some change. If this change, this trend is happening all over Europe, then that, that, that could make... Uh, that could be a kind of a uh, that could demonstrate that there is a, a new power virus just drilling its way through a, a population immunity and that's that's of course what we re that this is what we have to follow up in in time and if this is the case then i think it's it's up to the scientists to demonstrate that it's not that di that difficult if you have old strains and you do uh, first a first infection and then a second infection if you have homologous uh, then normally you would expect that uh, the pig is fully protected by the first uh, infection. If you have uh, the, the other strain as, as a challenging, then normally it, it should break through the immunity of the first one. So I think this is easy to be done, but of course money will be the, the matter to, you know, to stimulate the research in, in that direction. You are listening to Meet the Expert, a new series of podcasts on swine disease management in practice presented by Boehringer Ingelheim. If you would like to know more about the subject we're discussing in this podcast, additional information is available offline. Because this is a ubiquitous virus in the sense, you know, it's in all countries and, and very widely spread in swine herds. Mm -hmm. Isn't that correct? Yeah, that's true. That's so true. there is already this sort of level of of uh, immune response mm -hmm. to the existing situation. Mm -hmm. The variants, as you suggested, might uh, have to break through by means of uh, immune evasion or by uh, mm -hmm. something which allows them to escape the immune process. I think I think this is a you know this is a logical way of thinking. And up till now, it was kind of restricted always, you know. So there were new types, but it was always restricted because, you know, that, that, that's, that's evolution. There was nothing really special. But uh, I, that we cannot say that at a certain moment that one type will not have, have, have such a fit character that it will take over a lot of other strains and become a kind of a, a, a most important one. So this is the, the game that viruses are playing with, with the host. Now, from um, a practical point of view, Dr. Rackin, the real $6 million question is, will vaccines keep working? If the challenge is going to alter, will the vaccine still give us the protection it's done for, they have done for a very long time, 40 years or whatever it is? So, you know, can the 40-year-old vaccine still protect us in the face of new variants of parvovirus? 
There are some uh, indications that some of the the older strains are not providing full protection against some of the the new variants, uh, the new genotypes. That's uh, that's for sure. Um, so it's not that you, you it's not a complete lack of protection. I would say that we do not expect all of a sudden that uh, there's absolutely no protection. But you can see that there's a publications that. Um, the neutralizing antibodies are not as strong against these old strains as uh, as they used to be, uh, the new strains. And the fact that they're not as strong, to use your words, how do we see that as at a farm level? Then as a farmer, what would I see uh, because of that? I think there's a kind of a threshold here. So you have to have a certain level of increased mummies uh, to, to react so um you, there's always especially because we're seeing a really large litter size now you also see in, in in a lot of litters one or two mummies so there's there's needs to be a threshold you pass that all of a sudden you have too many and you start to investigate and that's uh, that's how you'll see it and but then we, we have some cases where where there's really a lot that where you we, you will react and then you have to go to the next step and actually look at the virus, uh, find the virus, and then do sequencing. So there's some steps in between before you actually find out. But this threshold from. before you start getting suspicious and looking into investigation, uh, can we give an idea to our audience what you would regard as a threshold? You know, uh, as you say, bigger litters, we're going to have more mummified anyway. So. What would you react to? I would react if I start to see uh, a lot of uh, sows farrowing and you see three, four mummies in in a lot of the litters of different sizes. Then I, I would certainly react. So it's uh, and um, and we know uh, also uh, from uh, this this increase of Danish submissions that they are actually relatively few vets who did the submissions. So. I think you have to. You're also passing a threshold in your own mind that all of a sudden you realize there's something going on here, and then you start seeing it in in more herds and in others. If you're not aware or you're not really counting, then you might uh, might not see it. So, so I I, I will, will add to that, and I also believe that you know you will not see a, a, let's say a, a huge problem on on the farm. I don't believe that. So I think the the vaccines that were used in the past that will be still working. Uh, the the question will be, and that's for a vet very important. You know, what is the percentage of more mummies that I have? And every at this moment, because uh, you know the financial thing on the farm is every pig that dies or uh, every fetus that does not become a pig is is lost. They're all losses. So they they're really working on very low percentages that they lose and they 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 don't want to lose. So I think. You're right. If 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 there are indications that you see, uh, and I think also it will not be in general a percentage of mummies. It will be, I think, a few uh, 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 sows that you will see, like you say, uh, you know, three or four mummies. An and extreme. Yeah, some extremes. I think those those ones will will be the tip of the iceberg that will demonstrate that there's something. And also, I think this will be the the warning of a, of a vet just to do some uh, examination. And indeed, it would be very interesting to, you know, to start to work a little bit on, on genetics and to see what are we talking about nowadays, even not only in, um, in Europe, but worldwide. So I think we, there should be kind of a revival of, of doing some examination on, uh, on, on parvovirus to have a better knowledge and to have a, a better interpretation of what's going on in the field. 
A better database on genetics, then, you're saying, for, uh, on an international or worldwide basis. Yes, uh, and also we have to be careful. Genetics, for genetics, I hate that. that. That doesn't mean anything. But it could give you a kind of an idea. If you see, like we just said, that you have one type that is taking over at a certain moment, that means something. That means that that virus is more fit than the others. And that would mean something. So I think... Doing epidemiology is is very important for for this parvovirus uh, story. Also, I think very important in this context because everybody is always talking about antibodies. Uh, uh, when I was very young, I, di I did a lot of dossiers for companies, uh, and I've seen a lot of uh, even sows that were serologically ne negative. They were vaccinated twice, but they were negative. Then they were fully protected after challenge. So we there is another thing, and uh, for sure, the cell mediated immunity is is extremely important. And even when we use an, an inactivated, or here in this this context, uh, a baculovirus construct, even when you use that, you will you will stimulate also some cytotoxicity. And this is uh, also something to mention that uh, the immunity is not only you know is not composed of only neutralizing antibodies, but also the the cell mediated immunity plays an extremely important role. So that's why I, I, I'm convinced that tomorrow we will, will not have an explosion of mummies. But I think it's very interesting to do a kind of a, a surveillance and a follow-up of the number of, of mummies and, and to try to find out if indeed uh, this is related with one type that is coming more frequently in the field than, than before. That that could be very interesting to, to study. Yeah? Yeah. Are we already at a stage, though, where we can say we can identify variants that might be helpful in vaccine development, for example? Is this already taking place, Dr. Rackin? Yes, I would say we, we have done, uh, we have taken some steps in that direction. We have uh, developed a new vaccine uh, based on, in the public world, recent strain, because it was already from the, the early 2000s, but at least it's 30 years younger than the, the other isolates in vaccines. And, and not only using a more recent strain, but also uh, build a vaccine in a different way, you can say in, in a more modern way. So looking specifically into the VP2 protein that we know is the, where you have the immunity directed against and, and grown that in, in baculovirus and expressed in the baculovirus system the same way as we did with, with Circoflex, basically. We took an, an old technique that we knew and we used that for, for parvovirus as well. So you're taking a bit of a virus in my non-scientific terms yes. rather than the whole virus. Yeah, instead of uh, taking the whole virus and kill that, we took the immunogenic part out and uh, created uh, virus-like particles uh, with that basically so that we have um, something that is way more immunogenic than, than you had in the past. And I think uh, from the studies we have done so far, it, it, it uh, seems that it's really, really strong and gives a very strong uh, cross-protection again, or heterologous protection. So every bottle has got more antigenic... Uh Power, power. Yeah, you could say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, is this a very expensive process? So we're paying a lot more for such vaccines. <laughs> that was two different questions. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, <that> was... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's an extremely expensive process. It's taken us uh, almost eight years to to get this vaccine to the market. So you wouldn't want to know how much the cost was. But but actually, the vaccine is not. Uh, more expensive than the the current vaccines that are on the market. So, so where are you? You're still testing it out. Where are you with this vaccine? Though? It's it's on the market now in most countries in Europe. Exactly. In 2019. Uh, it's 2019. On the yes. Uh, so, 
Uh, it's available now, um, and it will later on. It will be available uh, in other parts of the world. So but in it, Europe, it's available. It's now. in in Europe now. Yeah, it is yeah. starting to be used. Yeah, yeah, it's starting to be used. Um, so the experiences we have with the vaccine so far is uh, from lab studies and field studies that were part of the registration process. Um, so you have to do both uh, safety and efficacy studies in the field as well. But the real uh, stuff comes out now when we start to use it on the large scale in normal production sites, you can say. But I'm going to push the cost angle just a little bit more, if I may. <laughs> I mean, first of all, I'm happy to hear the dose cost isn't so high that it's going to affect our vaccin uh, vaccination decisions. In fact, it's still going to be based on those decisions are still going to be based on clinical considerations and not cost, as they were already, I understand. Yeah, it's not. So it would not compete with the older vaccines in, in, in terms of cost. So it's, it's cheaper. That's, uh, I can promise that. Um, so I think we will see. We will see in the future if there is a need, uh, really a need for this uh, vaccine, uh, so if it turns out that these changes were, that we see, we think we see with the with the new evolution of the power virus, that then there were, might be uh, a real need for for this uh, new vaccine. My other point on cost was simply application. You know, can it be combined with other injections? Yeah, thank you for asking that question because we we developed it in a way that it can be uh, combined or put in the same syringe as the first virus. And that's because we believe that some of these vaccines should be used in the mass vaccination program. We, we strongly believe that you need to have um, a unified uh, immunity across a herd. And the best way to, to achieve that is by vaccinating all animals at the same time and then uh, repeat that later on. So, so we suggest to, to combine it with the PERS uh, vaccine, which is also very suitable for mass vaccination program. And so this is this is the combination we we have made here, and they're using the same adjuvant. So we have a PERS, European PERS vaccine, a type one vaccine, with uh, using the same adjuvant as uh, this Revocide Parvoflex, and it's also the same adjuvant we have in our uh, Circo vaccine, Ingvac Circoflex, which has also a registration to be used in sows for reproductive uh, protection. I'm with you. And it's cross-protective in the sense of, you know, it's from one particular variant, but it will give uh, protection uh, to a range of variants. Yeah, so, you know, there's different clusters identified now uh, that is circulating in Europe, and we have done uh, the studies in the lab were challenged. The, the vaccine was challenged with a different vaccine virus from a different cluster. And also when we had the field studies, of course, it was again, uh, different uh, heterologous uh, variants of the virus. So I think from the experience we have from now is that it, it provides a really good heterologous protection. Yeah. Dr. Nowick, I, I need some advice from you, really, because here we had a, a virus that was apparently in a stable situation. We had what, perhaps only one or two examples of different types going back some years. And now, from what we hear over 10 years, there is a greater diversity uh, is there any explanation of why there should be a, a more rapid evolution of parvovirus, if indeed you accept that this is occurring? Well, I would not say it's a, a fast revolution. It's just an evolution that uh, occurs with all the viruses. Vi uh, this is a DNA virus, normally very stable. 
but uh, it's moving. There's no virus in the world that is not changing. So it's changing. Then, of course, the, the, the biggest question is, you know, what is the impact of a change? Uh, for instance, a lot of viruses change and they kill themselves. They are handicapped and that's, a, that's the end point of a, a, a mutant. Let's, say, let's call it a mutant. So if you have a, a virus that is m making the wrong decisions to make a change, then uh, it can kill itself. And that's most of the times happening. Then you have some of them that are changing and doesn't have a, a huge impact. So then they are co-living with the others. But sometimes they're just, you know, um, doing um, a big impact. And uh, I told you already, for instance, if it's changing, and this has been demonstrated for other powerful viruses, for instance, in cats and dogs, uh, that a little tiny change at the capsid, at the surface of the, the virus, yeah, could have a huge impact on the interaction with the, with the host cell and have a huge uh, uh, change in replication, in, in targeting, in replication and things like that. So um, these viruses can, can then change and, and can, for instance, replicate better in, in a kind of an immunological background. So this one would then gain some field against the other ones. So this is a... Um, a game of, let's say, uh, receptors on cells uh, is also a game of, of uh, population immunity. And uh, this is a kind of a, a process that you cannot predict. So what is going on that is in the field is, you know, you get mutants. And then it's a game of, if, is it a fit one? Yes or no? Uh, if it is a, a fit one, just like the old one, it will co-live co together. If it is one that is, you know, more powerful to get through the, the old population immunity, then it will go faster and, and over t take over a little bit of, of the field. So this is the game that's going on. And very important in this context is that uh, we're, we're breeding a lot of pigs. So uh, at this moment, there's a huge, uh, you know, replication and circulation in pigs and um, also co-infections because we didn't discuss on that. Powerful virus likes living in lymphoblasts and if you have co-infections, other infections, you have a lot of lymphoblasts. So the virus likes lymphoblasts. So I think like we're uh, raising pigs nowadays, we're just stimulating viruses that are liking, liking uh, infections with other viruses. And there are beautiful examples. Parvovirus is one of them. And there are a lot of parvoviruses popping up nowadays, even weird ones that we didn't he hear about before, but also circovirus. So these are the viruses, I call them the opportunistic viruses that just see a lot of Blasts stimulate lymphoid tissues and they grow into that and they uh, yeah then we are raising that and that's also stimulating the 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 genetic variety so uh, you, so this is fitting completely also in in the, the in the in the way that this virus parvovirus is just moving also on the track it takes decades to move but it is moving on the track of gen genetic genetic evolution and it's making more and more variations in in time but it takes much more time than, for instance, PRSV or influenza virus. So it's a slowly evolving virus, but it's evolving, and we have to survey, do some surveillance and have a look how the things are evolving. But if it is, uh, and I, I'm not doubting you for a second, but if it is a process, a game that is uh, affected by the way we keep pigs, uh, are there practical things, and I'll ask both of you this, if I may, are there practical practical things we could be doing in our production methods which would lower the chances of these developments occurring which would cause us problems or cost us money well let's say i'm not talking now on parvovirus only no, i understand I think mixed, I'm, I'm talking yeah. in general yeah uh, i think we should try to get rid of a lot of uh, virus on on farms so we have to bring in more uh, activities at level of biosecurity 
uh, because there are too many infections on top of the the head of a of a pig nowadays. I would I, I would not like to be a pig on a farm. There are too many infections. Vaccines, that's one thing, but also biosecurity and and uh, you know uh, cleaning and disinfection, that's something else. I think we we really have to drop down the the, the huge n- number of infections that are on top on the pigs at this moment. But this has not not that much to do with the parvovirus story that we were talking about. Well, it's all part of it, part ob- of, obviously. Of course, you, wouldn't, of course, yeah. uh, you wouldn't advocate using biosecurity yeah. just against parvovirus, yeah. obviously, but it could be a, a beneficiary. Yeah, but they're, they're busy with that. Uh, so, so they're, they're really busy with that. Biosecurity, there's even a lot of, let's say, uh, you know, software programs that uh, farmers run to see if, if they're improving and things. So, there are really there are, there are apps there there you know there is a lot of stimulation of of young people to to go more into into that and 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 also gain money not only with vaccination to control a few of those infections but also to control a lot of so the number of infections to bring the the total number of infections down and at that level there is there is a, there are a lot of initiatives of young people especially software specialists to you know to help the the farmers to to improve their their uh, biosecurity which is a really important thing in the future so one, uh, may I try to do a take-home message for our field veterinarians uh, listening to this? Is that uh, this change is a change which is a, a natural change anyway. Viruses change, even DNA viruses change, and this is, a, is certainly still occurring. Our responses could be to look at vaccination and how effective it is to do monitoring in the case of parvo, particularly the amount of or either the number or the percentage of mummified piglets that we're getting, also our total infection load on the herd. What could we be doing with biosecurity to reduce that? Uh, And that will benefit us, of course, across the board, not least with Parvo. But it is certainly something you would say, both of you, as a field veterinarian, don't imagine that the Parvo story is all old story and nothing new is happening. No, it's in full ev- it's uh, in full ev- evolution. And uh, you know, as a virologist, I'm always happy because uh, you know, every day you find new things because the virus is changing. So it's not a boring job I have, you know. Good, but it's also a, a let's say reassuring thing that we're ahead of game. Rather, you know, we've got the vaccine development at least at keeping step and staying ahead of what's happening with Parvo. So that's also a reassurance because vaccination, after all, with Parvo has always stood stood us in good stead and therefore we want that to continue even if Parvo changes its spots. Yeah, I think in, in this in this case we are, we are on top uh, at the moment, I would say. Uh, but I think it will be uh, increasingly uh, challenging, uh, not again as, as Sand says, said uh, not only Pavo but viruses in general. So I think we have to be really um, looking into also how we how we handle pigs. We are putting them into uh, larger and larger batches and we're moving them more and more around. So we need to keep them protected uh, in order to reduce the amount of virus that is circulating uh, together with the other efforts we have. That's going to be for another podcast, I imagine. That's a long story as well. But for this podcast, uh, thank you both, gentlemen. That's been great. And I hope for our field veterinarians who are listening to this podcast, there's some really practical points regarding parvovirus and reproductive failure in swine. 
You have been listening to a Meet the Expert podcast presented by Boehringer Inkline. Please note that other podcasts in the series are becoming available. Stay tuned and thank you for listening.